Welcome to The Mentor Files. I'm your host, Monica Royer, founder of Monica and Andy. If I've learned anything about running a business, it's that I've got so much left to learn. Join me as I chat with some of the world's most inspiring CEOs, passionate entrepreneurs, and experts at the top of their field to bring you invaluable insider advice and candid conversation about their journey to success. Here we go. I especially love today's podcast because I was able to reconnect with the founder I really admire. If you haven't heard of Mr. and Mrs. Smith yet, you have to check them out. Tamara started Mr. and Mrs. Smith in 2003 out of a necessity to find great hotels to stay in. And these weren't just any hotels. She started in the UK at incredible boutique spaces and started a cult-like following, which has expanded to 1 million members in over 100 countries. Tamara was using influencers before it was even a thing to do. Join me in hearing how she took her hobby and love for travel and made it into an international business. Today, we are thrilled to have Tamara Lohan, co-founder of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. We're so excited to have you for, I know probably most of our listeners have heard of Mr. and Mrs. Smith and know what it is, but tell us a little bit in your own words about your company. So I am on a mission to help people stay at the right place. Um, So they always get the hotel address right first time on their holidays. So that is to inspire people to go to extraordinary places with the people they love. And so the business, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, is um, a website, but much more than that, we're um, also a travel agent. Uh, You can ring us 24-7, and we curate a very highly curated collection of boutique hotels, so the really special, individual, owner-run hotels around the world. Amazing. And tell us, how did you get started? I feel like it's such an incredible concept. I mean, I wish this is what I I would have done because I feel like at least there's fabulous travel in your business. <laughs> but how did you get started? Were you very into like traveling previous to this? And did you feel like there were things that you weren't finding at the hotels that you were going to? Yeah, so it was more, uh, it was, there was a problem with the hotels, but there were also a problem with the kind of guides and, you know, travel agents that were out there at the time. So way back when my husband and I were, we were dating, And we both shared a passion for small, beautiful hotels. But every guidebook, every, you know, everywhere we looked, we ended up at just very disappointing places. So we decided that enough was enough. This was kind of a series of disappointing weekends away and and that we would write the guidebook. And I guess everybody has that kind of little black book of the places that they love or places that have been recommended to them. I guess the difference was that we actually sat down and started to write it out and, and, and built a business around it. So we started with the UK, got in the car, uh, took a month off our then jobs uh, and, and traveled the length and breadth of the UK to find the very best hotels. Um, and put them in a guidebook. So that's how it all started. That's pretty amazing. And when did you feel like, I mean, obviously you both had other jobs at the time. 
When did you feel like you were on to something? You t- took time off, you're traveling, and when do you feel like, okay, I can actually quit my day job and this is going to become something? I don't think either of us fully quit our day jobs until about two years into the business. So, so to start with, it was, it, you know, it was very much a, a lifestyle business, something that we were very passionate about. I don't think we ever, although there were times where people just said to us, you're crazy, no one's ever going to read this. You know, the publishers, because we started with a guidebook, a physical guidebook rather than just a website. And the publishers, people in the industry just told us we were spending too much money on photography, that we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. And But at, at no point did we think this is not a great idea and this is what is needed. And especially when we went out and we found those amazing hotels that are out there, but nobody knew about them. That was kind of when we realized that, you know, we were onto something. And I guess then when the book came out, the, the press loved it, I think, because it captured the imagination. It was because we weren't called luxury hotel this, luxury hotel that. We were, we were Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I don't know if you know, but in, in the English history, especially um, just after the war had ended, uh, people started going away you know, as couples to hotels again, but it was still very much frowned upon if you were in a hotel room outside with somebody outside of wedlock. Ah. And so Mr. and Mrs. Smith, even if you were planning on marrying that person, uh, <laughs> it was just not the done thing. And so Mr. and Mrs. Smith is the kind of most common English surname, and it would then be the, the surname that you would write in the guest book so that nobody would knew that you weren't actually married. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So that's where the, the name of the brand came from. Yeah. So from the beginning, you know, we were a little bit cheeky, a little bit irreverent. You know, I think we were the first to acknowledge that people don't go away with loved ones to hotel rooms to play Scrabble together. <laughs> and, and, you know, people go away to have fun and, and that this is, it's important that, you know, you make Hotels make their customers feel good and sexy and and special. And in the early days, what were the qualifications? Like you said, you weren't just writing a guidebook on luxury hotels. So was there a breadth of even price and you were more focused on the actual ambiance? Because I know sometimes you can stay at, for instance, there's a hotel that I stay at all the time in the West Village in New York called the Marlton. It's not one of the more expensive hotels, but it's so quaint and and lovely. What qualifications were you looking for as you started off on your journey in the UK to find these great spots? From the very beginning, we thought we came at it as consumers ourselves, and we realized that it, it depending on your mood and mode is is the kind of place that you're looking for. So we were just as happy on some weekends to just get out of the city we've been working hard we just wanted a cozy inn somewhere we could just you know walk from we didn't expect 24 hours room service from a place like that we just wanted it to be cozy lovely great food and then sometimes you know it's a special occasion a birthday or an anniversary or we're celebrating something and you've got a city hotel and you want to get glammed up and from those kind of places you expect a, to pay a bit more, you expect 24-hour service. So your expectations of what you're going to get, just as you know, you go to this place because the ambiance is 
different and it's the kind of mood that you're looking for. This was all about the hotels, you know, putting something special into the way they treat customers and it, for it being value for money. Um, it had to be, it had to be right for what you're paying, but there was nothing preventing us putting something that was a hundred dollars a night next to something that was fifteen hundred dollars a night, um, because it's the same customer just in different on a different weekend. Absolutely. And when did you feel like you were ready? How how long was it until you you expanded from the UK and started branching off into other areas as well? Yeah, our second book, so it was a year later, we, we decided to do Europe and then, and now, yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty much global um, and we have offices uh, in LA, New York, London, Singapore. Incredible. And, I, you know, I think what, bringing back to what you said earlier, which is like it was basically two years from when you started, you know, crisscrossing the UK, looking at hotels until you actually left your job. And I think that's an important note for people that are listening is that, you know, for people that are doing their own full-time job and are dreaming of doing something else, I think one of the things that's been common amongst all the founders that I've spoken to is that it never happens overnight. Nobody just ups and quits their job and starts their hobby, but it takes time to build to get to where you're going. And I think you're in a unique position where, you know, you're working directly with your husband on this as well. Did you both quit your jobs at the same time or what did the evolution of you coming together to do this look like? Um, well, I was helping my mother actually in her business, and so I, I helped her for quite a while after. I just, you know, so it turned out to be, you know, more time on Mr. and Mrs. Smith as it got busier and busier. Um, so I think, you know, but by the time we were both full and fully divested of other jobs, it was probably year three at least. Um, And I think you're absolutely right. There's another thing that's interesting about this, especially when it comes to um, women entrepreneurs, is that sometimes, you know, there is this kind of culture of, you know, start and think big and, you know, go big and raise money and all this kind of stuff. And I think that that puts the fear into some people. And I don't think that needs to be there. You know, people shouldn't not start businesses because they're fearful of this kind of, you know, not growing, not creating something big. I think great businesses start small and come from, you know, ideas that then kind of go and grow. And if you've got, if you start getting traction, that gives you the confidence to move on and start, you know, growing bigger and bigger and bigger. So I think that's really, really a good point. No, I love that, Tamara. I feel like that's something that I've definitely learned. I think that, you know, even though we have raised money, you know, we were very small and steady at the very beginning, working to understand the customer and what the brand meant to us and what it meant to the people that were that were coming and shopping with us. And I do think that that's an evolution over time. And the more that you can incubate in those early years and do small tests and remain under the radar... Um, I think that's a very special time and kind of splashing onto the scene and growing so quickly right away, because I think that you don't know what yet you want to spend some of that capital on and you don't really understand your own brand. But I think it's important to note that you saw a hole in the market where so many things start and you just got started on it. And I think that just that idea of getting started on it, trying to build something 
is is a is a great way to be. And I think it's spectacular that, you know, you and your husband are actually able to do it together. And it sounds like have so many global offices. What does the team look like? Like what's the number of people that work at Mr. and Mrs. Smith? And obviously you have a lot of people that go out and actually visit these hotels. So tell me a little bit about the structure of the company with the the people that you have. Yeah, so we have 120 people worldwide. Um, a quarter of that is tech, um, and uh, probably almost a third of it is customer facing, and they are on the phones 24/7. And that team of customer service and sales is support is split between the London office and the LA office, and that's how we run the 24 hours. So we hand over from London, we hand over the phones to, to Los Angeles in our, in our early evening. Um, and then we have a big strong team, which is the hotel partnership. So those are the people who uh, go out and, and, and find the hotels now because we're, we're a bigger team and I can't travel to every single country, you know, every single week. And um, so we have our curators who we train very carefully to, to find the right partners for us. I still do a little bit of that, not as much as I'd like, um, but definitely less than uh, than we used to because James and I also used to go out and source every single hotel. Um, but that, that team is, is in charge of making sure that our customers get absolutely the best service once they're at the hotel uh, and that we have you know all the great rates and offers that they can provide as well. Well, and I feel like it must be a dream job for the people that go out and test the hotels. I mean, it's got to be, you've got to have a a line of people that are waiting to take on that role. Yeah, yeah it's good. You know, it's, it's a partnership role. So it's a very much, a, it's not, it's got to be someone who not just loves travel, but, you know, loves working with partners and, you know, doing deals. And so, yeah, it's got to have a bit of both. Um, and then the rest of the team is kind of marketing and a really important part of our team is our editorial and content team. So because we come from a publishing background, uh, you know, the way that we talk to customers and the way that we write up the hotels, every single one is written up by us. Um, so we don't use anybody else's content. And, you know, we create uh, articles and uh, magazine and mini magazines for our customers. So our content is really, really important to us. So there's a big content team as well. And speaking of that content team and sort of the influencer marketing that you were doing, I feel like Mr. and Mrs. Smith tapped into influencer marketing a bit before it was even a thing. Tell us how you did that. So yes, I think I guess it was one of the things was our own insecurity. When James and I started the business, we didn't have we weren't from a hotelie background, we weren't from travel background. And we weren't influencers of any shape or form. And so we were, um, we said, well, you know, if we produce a book, how are people going to say, well, who are these people to tell us that these are great hotels? And so we decided very early on to uh, invite people who we felt had an interesting point of view to review the hotels that we had chosen, to make sure, to go anonymously to that hotel once we'd chosen it, and you know, make sure that we had chosen the right hotels. And those would be the people who would give us the integrity and the customer trust that we were doing the right thing by 
you know, partnering up with this hotel. And so this was when we started, this is 15 years ago. So it wasn't called influencer market marketing at all. It was essentially our trusted reviewers. Um, and those over time have grown into, you know, they are influencers. They are people whose opinions our customers would be interested in. Um, and so I guess we kind of fell into it and just, you know, from, from a point of view of working with like-minded people, that's just the best way to work because they can help spread your word in the right way. Absolutely. And did you feel like there was a particular tipping point where there was like one particular thing you did and things just really blew up for you in a good way? Um, I think obviously, you know, the, the internet and the website, you know, our, our business changed so dramatically from becoming, from being a publisher offline, you know, to producing physical guidebooks to dealing with customers in an online world. And then there was another watershed moment where we decided, uh, so for a while we were pure online and then we decided that customers actually wanted to speak to us. And so we added the phone, the customer support element. And that was a real turning point for us. Actually, you know, actually engaging with our customers person to person, um, I've always felt is really important. And I, I think, it, you know, in this digital world today, I think some companies forget that we are still humans <laughs> and that we, we quite like at certain points to interact with other humans. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, you know, some I think I feel like some companies just go too digital and and, and really push their customers away and don't want to speak to them. And um, I just remember that you know the travel team is suddenly starting to take phone calls from real customers and listening in on those real customers and really getting a sense that we were closer to those customers than ever before. Yeah, I, you know what? I think that's such a good point because I feel like I always feel frustrated when you know, I'm making a purchase from somebody or someplace and you can't reach a human if you need to. Yeah. Um, and I do think that, you know, we even feel like with retail and the ability to meet our customers in person or customer service, it is such an integral part of the business. And I agree in this digital age, it's funny because people always ask you like, what are the tools that make your business more successful? And of course there's Slack and email and there's all sorts of different things. But I feel like there's nothing like just jumping on the phone or meeting face to face and having a real life conversation to work something out. Yeah. And it's the same thing when you're talking to your customers. It's like to be able to have them pick up the phone and explain something, I think yeah. is definitely so critical and crucial. What other things in terms of like your culture do you work on to create such a successful team of people, especially as you're so globally spread out? Yeah, so I think in hospitality in particular, um, there's a kind of person who has inbuilt in them that we're trying to look for, who wants to make somebody else's holiday great. And so you, you can tell those people, you know, when you walk into a hotel, for example, that those people there are there to, to make your stay as wonderful as possible. And there are some people who are just naturally driven to do that and come across as warm and inviting and you know they will bend over backwards to to do anything it takes to make you happy um and so that's a, a specific travel and hospitality industry thing and if you haven't got that 
I think that's probably not an industry for you because that's what <laughs> we do. We're, we're, we're trying, you know, especially when you think about it, you know, a lot of our businesses honeymoons because we have such special, unique individual hotels, you know, when, and the brand name and everything, it kind of just plays very nicely to, to honeymoons. Now, honeymoon is something you will never, probably never, ever spend that much money on a holiday ever again. The importance of getting it right is so huge. And our customers are entrusting us with that, with that recommendation. And so I think it's something that we take very seriously. Um, you know, our customers, are, our members are people who, who you know, are, are very time poor, they want help, they want to be inspired, and they want to get it right. And the day that we lose that trust with the customer, we could just, you know, we should just go up against Priceline and fail. <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of your customers, what are all the different ways that people can utilize Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Because I feel like, you know, I interview a lot of different founders, but this I think is a very unique one where I feel like people listening to this that haven't heard of you or haven't utilized you are going to be like, how do I do this? Like, how do I utilize this? So obviously there's the website. So you, but we try and be, you know, across everything for however people want to use us. So we, we see ourselves very much as a travel club. So people can come and feel like they're part of something. So you can sign up, but you don't have to. Um, the website has all of our hotels but we are 24-7 on the phone. The phone number is everywhere on the site. We, we want to actively talk to people. And let's say you have a holiday coming up and um, you just don't know where to go. You can literally call our telephone number and say, look, this is my budget. I want four nights within a three-hour flight distance. And I want to do this. I want to either lie on a beach or I want to learn something new or I want to take a cookery course or I learn, I want to learn to make pasta, etc. And our team will come back to you with some recommendations. I mean, that's what they're there to do. They are there to inspire. Or you can browse the website. We have an app as well. But I sometimes think that people don't call us enough because they don't think that that service exists almost. Right. <laughs> that somebody can be there to kind of shortcut everything and really help you out. Right. No, it's almost too good to be true. I love it. Given that this isn't like a product-focused business, that your product is your editorial, your content, your collaborations, and then obviously like, you know, the customer service that you provide, what's been your biggest challenge in getting this off the ground and keeping it running? I think the globalization has been, you know, dealing with teams across different countries and time zones is is a is a difficult challenge. Uh, we did have an office in Australia, but it didn't work out. I mean, it was it was just too far. You know, being trying to work with someone where you literally don't have any crossover during the day is is very difficult. And and keeping the brand and how we work and making sure that they feel part of the team. Is, is really difficult. Now, I remember when we first opened the Australia office, it was one of the first offices we opened before even New York. And suddenly for me as well, we went from you know calls that would, would tail off during the evening to suddenly we were 24 seven because as soon as the UK and the US went, went to sleep, Australia would be full, full on during their day. <laughs> So the, 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 the business became a little bit relentless 
I, you know, I would go to bed having done, having cleared my inbox a little bit, I would wake up to 100 new emails from the team in Australia. And I just felt that relentlessness of it. And that's something obviously you get used to, you, you learn how to deal with, but, but it's a huge challenge. Um, and, you know, keeping that all together, you know, I admire very large organizations who have, you know, a lot more offices than us and <laughs> how they do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And what do you feel like you're like, if you were giving advice to somebody new that was starting their business of everything that you've learned, what do you feel is like, is the biggest bit of advice you could give from your knowledge today? I think if you, if you are a consumer facing business to always just put the customer first, really, you know, think about, is this really good for the customer or is it, am I doing something that is just purely good for the business? Because I think that kind of grounds you in what you're trying to do. If it doesn't make business sense, that's obviously another question for your business. But I think if it, if that kind of relentless drive to do something great for the customer, something that is really valuable for them, that you are there for a reason for them, that you help them do something, then you'll always have a reason to be and your customers will always value you. Absolutely. No, Tamara, that's so helpful. And I feel like I've learned so much. You know, we got to meet a few years back watching your journey. You've been someone that's been very inspirational to me on mine. And I hope to be able to utilize Mr. and Mrs. Smith more, perhaps like actually get out and travel a little bit in the future, which I feel like I haven't had as much of an opportunity to recently. But thank you so much for joining me today. And I feel like hopefully everybody's learned as much from you as I feel like I, you know, as as I have. And that especially how you speak to having sort of this global culture at the company and so many different um, teams in different places. I think that, you know, the way that you've done everything has been remarkable. Thank you. And, um, and congratulations on Monica and Andy as well. It's, uh, it's great. I mean, the quality of, of, the, of the products really shines through in what you do. And that's very so difficult in a digital age. So I really admire what you've done too. Thank you. No, and I hopefully we're looking at expanding at some point. So hopefully we'll be able to visit you in London sometime soon. That'd be great. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information and tips from our guests, stop by monicanandy.com or check us out on Instagram at monicanandy. If there's someone you want to hear from or have any other suggestions, please leave us a comment on iTunes. Thank you for listening.